Welcome to the Meaningful Work Matters podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Soren, founder of Eudaimonic by Design. On this podcast, we'll dive into the world of meaningful work, explore its complexities, and examine its impact on people and the organizations they're a part of. Each episode features insightful conversations with cutting-edge experts who are successfully navigating the challenges of meaningful work. We hope to offer you ideas, frameworks, and tools to unlock potential and design work that's fulfilling, impactful, and supports everyone's well-being. Subscribe or follow us now, and let's make meaningful work matter. Welcome, Katie Bailey. It's so lovely to be able to have you join us on Meaningful Work Matters. Can I just ask you to quickly introduce yourself and tell us how you relate to the topic of meaningful work? Delighted to be here. I'm always pleased to have a chance to talk about meaningful work and very excited to hear about this podcast series that you're starting. So I have both a personal and a professional connection to the topic of meaningful work, and it it goes back about 13 years. And at the time I was having, and actually, and I don't know if this is something you can relate to, but I was having a bit of a bad time at work and I wasn't really getting a very meaningful vibe from my, my job anymore. And I was thinking, do I even want to carry on being an academic anymore? So various things had happened and it was it was a bit of a low time. And I, it sort of prompted me to start thinking about why I felt like that and what it was about my job that was making me feel so negative. And I kind of got interested in this whole idea of work being meaningful or conversely meaningless. And at the same time, sort of professionally, uh, my research was very much around employee engagement. So what is it that makes employees feel engaged with their work, which is very much in line with the positive psychology dimension that I know you're very interested in. Um, and in the academic world, there was this amazing paper written by William Kahn back in 1990, where he talked about the importance of meaningful work as a driver for engagement. And one of the things I found fascinating about that was it wasn't really something that was being talked about among the practitioner community. If you went and talked to people who were in jobs that they were talking about engagement and the importance of things like leadership and job design, they they weren't really talking about meaningful work as such. So I got quite curious about this. And so these, these two sort of things really came together. And I started to become very interested in this whole topic of, of meaningful work. And since then, I've been lucky enough to be involved in a huge range of different projects that have taken me all over the world. And I've had the chance to meet with all sorts of fascinating, interesting people, both academics and practitioners who are so leading thinkers in this whole topic of of meaningful work. So I've been able to uh, put together a a group of um, academics and together we've run a symposium series that runs every two years. Obviously, we had a bit of a break around COVID, but we we get together every couple of years in different countries to talk about meaningful work. Um, I co-edited the Oxford Handbook of Meaningful Work, which was published a couple of years ago, Um, again, with some fantastic contributors to that. Um, I've also been able to edit a couple of special issues of journals around meaningful work. Um, And I I think perhaps the thing that I've enjoyed most of all, I've enjoyed all of it, but the thing I've enjoyed most of all um, has been establishing the Meaning and Purpose Network, uh, MapNet, at King's College, which I founded in 2020. So the aim was to create more ethical, inclusive and sustainable futures for organisations through partnership and knowledge sharing. 
So I was very much interested in bringing academics together with practitioners to share ideas and to share knowledge, because I feel that the communication between those two worlds isn't perhaps always as good as it could be. And we've had a fantastic time. Uh, we've got about 30 corporate members. We've been able to do some really interesting work around meaning and purpose, connecting our members with some of the latest thinking and ideas in this whole area of, of meaning and purpose. And I've done quite a few research projects myself on the topic and, and just been able to explore it. And it's been a it's been a fascinating journey. Your work, Katie, has certainly been an extraordinarily powerful constellation of, of just amazing research that you've been able to put together over over the years. I mean, all of those, you know, special issues in the uh, in the Oxford Handbook have certainly impacted me in the community of practitioners and academics that um, that I float around with um, in terms of the positive psychology community and the applied positive psychology community who are interested in the ideas of meaningful work. Um, and your capacity to synthesize this uh, increasingly big body of work um, and and try to make sense of it, especially in um, in the context of creating more ethical organizations and uh, in a more just world um, has been a true inspiration for me in the research that I've been able to do. So thank you. And I'm, I'm so honored to be able to have you on this podcast and to be able to speak with you today. Oh, Andrew, thank you so much. That's really nice to hear. And I think as an academic, you do sometimes wonder whether anybody ever reads anything that you write. So it's actually wonderful to hear that you've, you've been able to read some of the things that, that you know, me and I've written together with my teams and, and these outputs have been useful and beneficial to you. I certainly do think that meaningful work is something I personally feel very passionate about. I think it's so important to all of us as individuals and and for the organisations that we work in. So I'm very, very pleased to be able to spread the word a bit about it. Well, let's take a step back and and just what is meaningful work? Let's let's start there. What what is meaningful work and perhaps why is it so hard to define? Well, that's actually a really good question. And it's one that I should know the answer to after all these years of, of studying and writing about it. I think one of the problems is that it's one of those things that everybody's got a view about what meaningful work is. And all of us, so I've done a lot of interviews with people who, who are not academics. They, they're working in all sorts of different jobs. They might be refuse collectors or nurses, or they might be stonemasons, for example. But if you ask someone, is your work meaningful or not? They'll always have a view. They'll always have an answer. So I think inherently, each of us has a sense about what meaningful work is to us as a person. And I think academics have really struggled to define meaningful work. And I, and I don't know what you think about this, but one of the things that struck me is that it's a topic that people have written about from so many different angles that everybody's coming at it with a different sense of, of what it means. And I think loosely you can group people into two main camps. The first camp are the people that say meaningful work is a subjective thing. It's something we decide for ourselves. I go into my work. I decide whether my work is, subject, is subjectively meaningful to me or not day by day. So there's that kind of group of people. And that includes psychologists who would regard meaningful work as an attitude. So pretty much the same way as, for example, job satisfaction is an attitude. So meaningful work 
would be an attitude. So that that's one kind of camp. The other camp are the people who say meaningful work is something that's determined objectively by society. So there's some 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 body, something out there that decides whether our work is meaningful or not. And so they are looking for specific attributes that jobs would have in order to determine whether or not they're meaningful. And these would be ethicists, political theorists, sociologists, and they're looking for things like work that is autonomous, that is dignified, um, that gives us a sense of freedom, um, where we get feedback and a certain set of attributes of jobs. And those jobs would then be regarded as meaningful from that perspective, regardless of whether the individual performing those jobs perceive them to be meaningful or not. So those are the two kind of broad camps. On the one hand, people who say meaningful work is subjective, it's down to the individual, it's in the eye of the beholder. And then the other people over here, the sociologists, the ethicists and so on, you say actually meaningful work uh, is an objective attribute that some jobs have and others don't. It's a really helpful framing device, by the way. It's a really helpful framing device just to just to think about those two pieces of it that that we can have, you know, our own perspectives as to what meaningful work is, and then there are fundamental objective attributes. I mean, it's the same it's the same question in well being research as well um, that that we think about in terms of you know there are there are very much subjective ways we think about happiness, and then there are objective ways in which well being is measured in the world. Yes, I think that's a very good analogy. And I, I think that there's a fact that there are these huge, huge hugely divergent views makes it very difficult mm-hmm. to define meaningful work in the mm-hmm. same way that it can be difficult to define well-being as well. There's a lot of different views about what we mean when we say well-being. Um, but I think in the management field, mostly people tend to think about it as something that is subjective. Although there are, of course, many people who are trying to build bridges between and across these two broad perspectives. I suppose from a very simple perspective, I tend to think about it um, in terms of whether your job matters to you or not. So does it, when you get up in the morning and it's cold and it's dark and it's wet, like it is here in the UK at the moment, and you think, do I really want to go into work? You know, is anything better in the world as a result of me having done my job today? And I think that's fundamentally what it comes down to, for me at any rate. one of the ways I tend to to look at it, and I, and I draw very heavily here on uh, the work of Mario Lips Viersma, who has been very, very influential in the field and with whom I'm lucky enough to have done uh, s- several projects as well and currently writing with her. I really like her framing. She identifies meaningful work as having four different dimensions to it. So it's to do with the contribution that we make. Um, So what is it that we're contributing through our work? If we have a sense that we are maybe, maybe we work in an animal shelter. There's been a lot of research on meaningful work in animal shelters. If those animals at the end of the day are doing really well, and we find that we're making a contribution to the well-being of those animals, then that is a source of meaningful work for us. The second dimension is about belonging, feeling that we belong in a community among other people. And if we've got a strong sense of belonging, we don't feel isolated or rejected, then that can be a profound source of meaningfulness as well. 
She also then talks about two dimensions which are more to do with ourselves and who we are. Um, and one of those uh, is about self-actualization. So being able to do work that we think we can do really well, that uses our talents, that enables us to do what we do best. Um, and I think if I look back over when I was not experiencing much meaning in my own work, I think that that perhaps was what was going on. I didn't really feel that I was able to perform well because I was being asked to do things that didn't really fit with what I saw as my strengths. And then finally, it's about your best self. So when you go to work, do you feel that you're being your best self? Are you able to enact the values uh, that really matter to you? Are you surrounded by people who share those values? Are you able to be yourself, be authentic to who you really are when you go to work? So those are the four dimensions, essentially, that, that Mario identifies in her work. And I think it's so helpful um, as a way of looking at the different aspects of meaningfulness. So I think the key thing is that it's not just one thing, meaningful work. It's several different things going on. And at any given moment, some of those are going to be stronger or weaker than others. And so I think it's important for your listeners to be aware that it, it's not necessarily the case that you're going to have one source of meaning in your work. There are going to be several different sources. Does that make sense to you, Andrew? Does that sort of chime with what you think about meaningfulness? It really does. It, it also... It also really chimes with the idea that I think I've landed on as I've dived deeper and deeper into the literature on meaningful work, that if we just focus on one aspect of meaning, um, we miss the boat a little bit. That there's a far broader, I mean, that that constellation that you just described, um, you know, that <laughs> that constellation of four pieces really get at so much of what eudaimonic well-being is actually all about the desire to have um impact in the world the coupled with all these other attributes of self-knowledge of growth and potentiation of of potentially doing it in constellation with other people that all of these pieces really fit into what meaningful work can mean for ourselves and for others and that really one size fits none when it comes to being able to say hey here's what here's what meaningful work is for ourselves or for our organizations there is, of course, a very strong link between meaningful work and well-being, as as you know from your your own research. And I've I read your paper, and you draw out that that link between meaningfulness and well-being really well. And that that's a very important thing to think about. It's it's good for us to find our work meaningful. Um, we we benefit from that psychologically um, and physically and emotionally. Uh, if we don't find our work meaningful, if we find it meaningless that's associated with some very negative outcomes. So uh, it's important not just for organizations, but also, as you quite rightly say, for us as individuals. I'm curious to go even a step further in terms of that um, that individualization. Some of the work that you've been working on, especially more recently, has been very focused on the temporal nature of meaningful work. I'm wondering whether you can talk about that and, and some of the tensions that might exist. Oh, that's a big question. Yeah. It's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when you start to think about meaningful work a little bit more, um, there are so many different, interesting, fascinating avenues you can go down to look at what does this mean in practice and how, what does meaningful work look like when we're actually performing it? And one of the things that I and my co-author, Adrian Madden, got really interested in 
um, was this idea of the link between time or temporality and meaningful work. And I think there are three different ways you can look at the link between time and meaningful work. The first one is around how much control we have over the time that we are working. So when you're at work, how much control do you have? Have you got somebody constantly saying to you, this is how you should use your time? This is what you should be doing now. You need to move on to the next task. Or do you have some autonomy and some freedom to determine how you use your time? And that sense of autonomy and freedom will then enable you to find more meaning in your work. Where, where we're very constrained by others, it's harder to find our work meaningful. The second is the kind of the temporal dynamics of the job. And what I mean by that is that each job has its own kind of temporal rhythm. So in one of the papers that we did, we compared academics, um, stonemasons, cathedral stonemasons who were repairing ancient cathedrals here in the UK, um, and refuse collectors. And we looked at these three types of jobs and we, we asked, well, are these, are these jobs meaningful and are they meaningful in the same way? And we looked at that through the lens of time and the way that each of these occupational groups related to time. And as you can imagine, just thinking about those types of jobs just logically, there are some pretty big differences in what time looks like if you're doing those different types of jobs. But pulling all our results together, one of the things that came out for all three groups was that when people are kind of stuck in the present, it is very difficult to see the meaning of your work. So if you're doing a job where you're constantly repeating the same task over and over again, and you've got no sense of what's that going to look like in the future? Where, where am I going? going? What am, where am I developing and growing? And where is my contribution growing, developing into the future, it becomes much more difficult. And I think the most extreme example we had, and I think you might like this, Andrew, um, was the cathedral stonemasons. These were people who were repairing cathedrals that were maybe 400 years old. And so they would be um, up on the scaffolding, chipping out broken stones and taking them out um, and then making and carving new stones to replace them with. And on the back of those stones, the old previous stones, we call them the old stonemason, the stonemason who originally did this piece of work had put what they call a banker mark on the back of the stone and that was essentially the stonemason's signature. So the mason today takes out the stone and they can see the banker mark on the back from the original stonemason who did the work and that was done maybe 400 years ago. They then replace that with a stone and they put their own banker mark on the back, their own specific signature and put the stone back into the cathedral, knowing that in 400 years time, when the cathedral might need repairing again, another stonemason will be taking that out, looking at the banker mark on the back and doing the same thing. Wow. So if you think about that, and this is a very extreme example, because this is a this is a, a, a sort of temporal viewpoint over your job where you can see 400 years back and 400 years into the future. But you can see how that would then make you feel really connected with the community of stonemasons that you're working in, with the building, uh, with that interconnection with the building, and that, that feeling of being important in a temporal sense. Now, we can't all obviously find that connection over 800 years in the work that we do, but for many of us, we should be able to ideally see 
that if we do a really good job today, somebody in the future is going to benefit or we can see that the work we've done is going to be beneficial to others, to our community. And talking to our refuse collectors that were part of our study, it was fascinating because they used to talk very much about the importance of recycling and knowing that the products that they would be bringing back from their, their trips out to collect the recycling, that that would be recycled and new products would be made. And that would help the environment and help uh, the future generations. And they often talked about their, their grandchildren um, in that context. And the third and final thing about temporality um, is a, that one of the things that really struck us was that meaningful work is a kind of an episodic thing. It's not constant. And maybe you have days like this, Andrew, where you kind of you go in at nine o'clock in the morning and you leave at five and you've thought all day long, my work has been so meaningful. No, you're shaking your head. And I, <laughs> I think many of us are, are in that situation. We don't find our work constantly meaningful. That might actually potentially be a bit too much, in fact, if we did. So it's kind of an episodic thing. And what we found in our research is that a lot of these uh, ceremonies or rituals, um, whether formal or informal, really important for people to stop, take take a, a stock, reflect on what they've done, uh, and think about where that then connects through to the future. Um, I'm really wowed by this um, by this idea of the of the stonemasons looking at these bricks and and reflecting back over 400 years and into the future over 400 years it it makes me think so much of um of indigenous wisdoms and and uh, i'm in canada there's many first nations who think about seven generations a seven generation approach to the ways in which we think about our role in society and and the acts that we that we can commit i mean how how do we think about um about, about how any act that we might do uh might be informed by our ancestors looking at backwards um or informed what um what future gen generations might be doing looking forward and that is uh it's just tangible and practical way of thinking about it uh the other the other thing that i i just got back from attending a conference where roy baumeister was talking about some of the psychology of the future of future thinking and the psychology of what what is called um um um, prospection and uh and that there's a tremendous amount of power about our capacity to think about the future for our well-being and so i'm curious as you've looked at the temporality of meaningful work does it matter more whether somebody is thinking about looking backwards or looking forwards in terms of their relationship to meaningful work so that is something that i haven't looked at but i think that is a really interesting and important question because if you think about say contribution you you can see your contribution by reflecting back and thinking what what you've done retrospectively or as you say you can think prospectively looking into the future think well actually in future that things are going to get better because of the work that I'm doing now and you can see a case for both of those um in in the case of the research that we did we tended to find that people did both of those things kind of at the same time. But I'm very intrigued by your question because I think that's actually very important. And I'm just reflecting now and thinking actually both of those would matter. If I feel I've done a job 
and it hasn't made a difference and I haven't contributed and there wasn't a good sense of teamwork looking back over it, then that's not good. But equally, if I look forward and I cannot see a future, I can't see where my work is going. I can't see Mm. how I'm going to make a difference in the future. That's really bad as well. (laughs) Actually, both of those things matter. And I think you might just have defined my next research project for me. Um, it makes me think about about your definition of meaningful work, which is, or your articulation of a simplified definition of, does my work matter to me? Um, does my job matter to me? And 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 mattering, at least as defined by one scholar who's done a lot of thinking about it, Isaac Pilantensky, he simplifies it as, am I adding value? Am I feeling valued? And the feeling valued is in some ways the look back. Do I feel like the work that I have done has mattered? Have I added value in that situation? But um, but can I add value for the future um, is very much uh, um, the other part of his equation of what mattering is all about. Do I can I can I be valuable in this situation? So I I like the the connection of both of those things. So so sorry, I'm just reflecting based on what you said. Actually, at the moment, of course, this future orientation is really important, important. in the current environment that we're in with the climate change and and the the huge challenges that we're facing I think more and more people are starting to look at their jobs to see whether there is a a congruence between the values that they have and where they see their employers going where they're heading so that looking not just at your own individual personal future but also the future of your organization as a whole and trying to think well can I see a future for myself here making a meaningful difference, addressing the many challenges that there are facing us today? We know that a lot of the research in meaningful work trumpets the fact that when we can experience those moments of meaning in our work, there's a lot of good things that happen. We're generally more committed to our organizations. We engage in more pro-social behaviors. We're potentially more creative and innovative on the job. We um, we fundamentally feel more connected. There's less, less of absenteeism. There's, there's more loyalty our, to our organizations. There's a lot of good stuff that happens when we experience meaningful work. But are there downsides? Are there other dark sides of meaningful work in your research? Yes, there absolutely are. And I think that this is something to be um, to be aware of. If we see our work as deeply meaningful, we might be willing to make sacrifices that are detrimental to us and to our well-being uh, as well. So in the special issue of the Journal of Management Studies that we did in, in 2019, Carrie Olberger had a really interesting paper where she looked at international aid workers and the fact that these were people who also found their work to be hugely meaningful. So when we find our, our work really profoundly meaningful, I think it's sort of it's beholden on all of us to really stop and think, how does that then relate to the rest of my life? How, how am I balancing work to create a meaningful life because ultimately it's not just about the work that we do it's also about the life that we're leading and is that life as a whole meaningful and what impact are we having are we being selfish in our pursuit of meaningful work because we're causing harm to those who really do matter to us you've used the term existential labor what does that term mean this was a paper that um that i wrote uh, with some of my colleagues um a few years ago and your listeners may be familiar with um, some of the concepts that we, we built on when we wrote about existential labour. One, one of those is emotional labour. So you would be very familiar with this, Andrew. So the idea behind emotional labour is that we 
many jobs require us to work with our emotions. We have to fake emotions that we don't really feel in order to perform our job. So, for example, if you get on an an aeroplane and you have a friendly greeting from the cabin crew, they might not be feeling very good. They might be feeling ill. They might be feeling fed up, but they have to put a smile on their face and welcome you onto the aircraft because that is part of their job. And that that is emotional labour. And that is a very, very well-established concept um, in the literature. When we were doing research around meaningful work, we we were looking at meaningfulness and we were also saying, well, what happens if you work for one of those organisations that actually wants you to find your work meaningful and you're being told, you know, it's great working here. You're doing really important work. There's so much that you do that, that is just great. And it's a really strong cultural pressure to find that meaning in your work. But you don't actually feel that. You're not kind of getting that sense of meaningfulness. What what happens then? And we were very curious about this and we're reading the literature around emotional labour and thought, well, perhaps people start acting as though they feel, find this sense of meaning in their work. So that's what we called existential labour. It's acting as if you find your work meaningful when you don't really. And there have been some subsequent studies that have looked at this idea of existential labour as well. So we were really excited to see some research coming through that's looking at this because we were looking at it very much from a kind of a, a perspective of it being a new idea, a new way of looking at this. And so we were really pleased to see that people have found that actually this this is a thing, that people really do feel like this um, and that you can feel very pressured. Uh, in certain organisational settings. Well, this pressure can be kind of cultural if you work for the kind of company that has a very strong culture. In the extreme, say you work for a cult. You know, if you work for a cult, you've got to pretend, even if if you're not feeling it, you've still got to pretend that you're buying into what uh, the the cult is is, is promulgating by way of its ideology. And some organisations have cult-like tendencies where it's a very strong culture. Um, There's a a lot of emphasis on values and what the organisation is about, what it's contributing. And people might see all sorts of disconnects between what is espoused on the one hand by the organisation and what is actually enacted in practice as they go about their work. And this sense of dissonance between what is espoused and what is enacted can give rise to this sense, well, actually, I, I don't really think that they mean this. Um, I'm, I'm going to pretend I go along with it, but actually I don't. Um, and that has all sorts of negative repercussions for people. And I'm sure from a positive psychology point of view, Andrew, that you you would be very familiar with these in terms of people are more likely to quit. They're more likely to have um, detrimental impacts on their well-being. Um, they're more likely to feel disconnected and to find their work meaningless, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. all of the foundations of meaningfulness would be um, uh, undermined in that sort of a setting. It really speaks to me, this idea of the ways in which meaning can be possibly intentionally, possibly unintentionally weaponized against employees in different kinds of ways. Um, and and uh, and also the risks of engaging in a meaningful um campaign within your organization that so many organizations are striving to be able to increase a connection to mission and meaning or purpose in the work that they do and and yet 
they are less committed to actually doing things that enact those values or that purpose. And so you create, as you described, um, um, you know, a gap between between espoused and enacted, or or using simpler words, you know, a say-do gap. We say one thing, we do a different thing. And uh, and how much moral outrage that can create. I think that that's the thing that I've observed in organizations, especially when you attract people into an organization on the premise that, hey, we're going to do some really meaningful stuff here. And then you don't do it, or you do somehow something that creates dissonance or, or, or contravenes, which is almost always going to happen because it's really hard to do meaningful work all the time. And there's constantly tensions and paradoxes and polarities that you're trying to manage. And so, um, and so there's inevitably going to be challenges to being able to do that mission and purpose that you're facing. But the bigger that that say do gap is, the more outraged you can be in terms of being confronted with an organization that's that's saying they want to do one thing and doing something very different. Well, I, I think that's that's absolutely right. And I, I think that that sort of links for me to this idea that actually meaningful work is highly personal to people. So I've, I've been a qualitative researcher for most of my career. So in other words, um, I tend to do interviews, focus groups, talking to people rather than doing surveys and that type of research. And I've talked to people about all sorts of different aspects of their work over many, many years, or thousands and thousands of interviews with, with many people. And meaningful work is the only topic where I've interviewed people and they immediately start talking about their family or what they're doing outside work or their childhood. When you start talking to people about meaningfulness, it taps into something very profound in people. People don't talk about, oh, yes, I, you know, it's all about what's happening at work. It's all about me as a person and where I've come from and what matters to me, what, what values I have, not just in work, but me as, as a holistic human being. And so meaningfulness is very human. And I think that it taps into what you were talking about, this sort of moral outrage that people feel when that sense of what really is fundamentally important to you as a human being is being attacked in some way by your organisation, that they're not doing what they said they would do. They're going back on their promises and these things meant something to you at a very personal level. So I think that that is all bound up with this very personal aspect of meaningfulness. Now, I know I'm going to ask you another very loaded question, just because I know that you've just done a special issue on the ethical relationships of meaningful work. But are there other ethical considerations we should be thinking about when it comes to meaningful work? Well, I think we've touched on a number of these already, but I think there are huge ethical implications around meaningful work. And I suppose if I was to pick out one from uh, that we haven't perhaps talked about so far in our conversation, um, and that is, you know, how ethical is it to try and manage people's sense of what is and isn't meaningful? If meaningfulness is very personal to us, should we even be trying to manage that? Do we have the right to try and say to people, these are the things about your job you should be finding meaningful because they're what we think you should be finding meaningful. Most people would quietly go away and say, well, they're telling me I should find this meaningful, but actually I don't. I find something else meaningful. So if it comes back to where we started, really, with this idea that meaningful work is a very subjective thing, 
And certainly in, in the research that we've done, we tended to recommend that organisations try to create an ecosystem or an environment that enables people to find their own sense of meaningfulness, rather than trying to mandate it and tell people what they should find meaningful, because that might go very badly wrong. Can you tell us more about what that actually looks like in practice? How do you create that ecosystem in an organization? This idea of an ecosystem. So what we what we did was we broke broke sort of work down into some different components. And we said there are four key things maybe to be thought about in terms of creating an environment or an ecosystem for meaningfulness. Um, and the first was looking at the role that people perform or the job that they do as a whole. So what what is it that you're asking people to do? So are you do you work in the accounts department? I don't know. Are you a street sweeper? Are you a stonemason? So what is the job and how can you help people to see that that job makes a difference? So with our street sweepers, they all said to us, actually, when the company started putting images on the side of our refuse truck that showed the products that were made from the recycling we brought back, that really made it very immediately visible to us what it was that we were we were doing and helped them to find meaningfulness in the in the job that they were doing. Below that, you've then got all the individual tasks that we do. And it's often at this level of the tasks that make up a job that we see meaningfulness start to become undermined. So a lot of people talk to us about being asked to do pointless jobs. So being asked to retail assistants, people who work in shops, being asked by head office to reorganise the whole store because they've decided that the store should look like this. And everybody in the store looking at the, the images and saying, well, this is never going to work and being told, well, you've got to do it anyway. So reorganize the whole store according to what head office said. And then a week later, well, this isn't working. Could you put it back how it was before? So asking people to do tasks that ultimately don't have any meaning and are pointless is real, really undermines people's sense of meaningfulness. And I think this job design seems to have gone a bit out of fashion in recent years. But I think it should be brought back because I think that we, we jobs drift over time. We forget what it is that makes up a job, what we're actually asking everyone to do day to day. And that's very important for meaningfulness. So we've got the job, we've got the tasks, and then we've got the interactions that people have with their colleagues with their line managers, with senior managers, with customers and clients. And these interactions can be a profound source of meaningfulness. So if we go back to Mario Lipsviersma's model that I mentioned earlier on, and we think about uh, the dimensions of belonging and contribution, we only get a sense of belonging through the interactions that we have with the people around us. So if these are positive nurturing interactions where we have a sense of shared values, a sense of camaraderie, uh, we can nurture that sense of belonging. But if you're working in an environment where there's bullying or harassment or unpleasantness or you don't get these positive interactions, that can also undermine meaningfulness. So paying attention to how people are interacting with people around them. Are they talking to customers or clients, whether internal or external to the organization, who can give them feedback and say to them, well, you did a really good job and you really contributed. Are you doing that or do people just not having the chance to have those? 
And then the fourth one and the final one is around the organization as a whole. So what is this organization trying to do? What's it trying to achieve? What is its purpose beyond profit that I can buy into as an employee and think, well, actually, I can see this organization has similar values to me and is going in the same direction I want to go in and I want to be part of this. And that is another profound source of meaningfulness. So where all of those things fit together, your job, your tasks, your interactions, and the organization as a whole, when you've thought about all of those, having those designed in such a way that people can find meaningfulness for themselves is really going to create a strong ecosystem where people can find meaningfulness. The only thing I would add to that at this point is that people also need to be able to talk about meaningfulness. And it's not something we generally tend to talk about at work. What are the kinds of interventions you've seen that create the context for people to talk about meaningfulness? Well, they can be very simple things that people can do. Um, Having workshops where actually meaningfulness is on the agenda and that you actually talk about meaningfulness rather than it not being something that you would talk about. Uh, Making sure that line managers talk about meaningfulness in their one-to-ones with their direct report, in their Mm. annual performance reviews, and that meaningfulness is up there alongside other perhaps more tangible things like performance and like, you know, how many how many widgets did you sell this month? You're actually talking to people about how meaningful they found their work and what could be done perhaps to help them find more meaning. So Mm. things like this, actually having meaningfulness as part of the daily conversation in organisations can really start to help. Well, thank you so much for your insights, Katie. The level of nuance that you bring to this topic is truly special. And I love your emphasis on on the fact that there is a a massive need to individualize the way that we think about meaningful work. And and this recognition that one size fits none is, is I think, so important to this topic, as is your focus on ethics and uh, and what what, what it means to do meaningful work in a in a way that ultimately is not exploitative, in a way that ultimately allows people to be able to find their own pathway um, and doesn't necessarily just force the performance um, or the commitment or the or the loyalty, uh, I think, which is sometimes the ways in which meaningful work gets um, gets misused in organization. Finally, I, I just love your tactical and practical recommendations. Um, they're very concrete ways in which you take what can be sometimes heady academic information and make it super practical and uh, and bring it to life. Thank you so much for helping us make meaningful work matter. Katie. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me to talk to you. I've really enjoyed our conversation, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Meaningful Work Matters. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. And if this episode resonated with you, please take a moment to leave us a review. Your feedback helps us make this podcast better and reach more listeners. You can connect with me, Andrew Soren, on LinkedIn, or visit www.eubd.ca to learn more about Eudaimonic by Design. Finally, if what you heard today spoke to you, tell your colleagues and people in your community about our podcast. We really appreciate your support in making meaningful work matter. See you next time.